0: you know, after that, going on, like, bicycling across the United States and, you know, uh, hiking the Wonderland Trail, hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, hiking the Colorado Trail, uh, the answers that you're looking, the answers are there. They may not be the answers you're looking for, but the answers are all provided for you. And it's kind of up to you to be open to them and to put them together this is a life in motion audio experience a podcast about travel action sports
1: culture and more what's up and welcome to episode 46 of life in motion today i've got paul barack on the on the line who seems to have a pretty big appetite for adventure Um, he's hiked the pct he's biked across the united states and he's even walked the 750 mile chikoku Pilgrimage Trail. To top it off, he's also uh, our first guest who actually has a published book. Um, So, with that being said, I'm more excited to kind of hear about all of his different stories and kind of his adventures. Um, But, Paul, thank you for being on the show today.
0: Thanks, Jeremy. Glad to be on.
1: Yeah, well, I'm excited to kind of get into all this stuff uh, and all your kind of adventures and trips that you've been on. Um, but before we do that, let's kind of set the stage of who, who you are, you know, how you grew up or where you grew up, um, you know, hobbies you had growing up, kind of how did you get into this, uh, this kind of lifestyle that you seem to have found yourself in?
0: Sure. So I grew up, uh, in Seattle in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and as far as like, kind of what got me into, travel and what got me into uh well specifically shikoku was uh watching a lot of saturday morning cartoons to be honest uh yeah so like i used to watch a bunch of saturday morning cartoons and since it was the 90s uh, and late 80s ninjas were all over everywhere and so i just that was kind of my sorry that was kind of my introduction into Japanese culture was just like, oh, cool, they can disappear and cut people's heads off, (laughs) neat. And they eat pizza in a sewer, they can do everything. (laughs) So, so, you know, then to be honest, like I was an active kid and then just went through this period of sloth where I just didn't move off the couch for like years. Uh, and was, was
1: that like your teen years or like when just like curious if you're kind of active and then kind of went through a like, transition it seemed like. Yeah that. like
0: I'd say 10 to 13 or something I just didn't move and then around 14 I was like well I either got I I don't know I want to talk to girls someday so <laughs> I should either develop a personality or I don't know start running so I did the second thing uh because <laughs> it's way harder to talk to women than you think when you're, you know, 14. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you're just like, what? what's the secret? So, yeah, so I just started running and that, um, that kind of got me moving. And then in uh, college, I was, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I ended up taking this class on Japanese religion and culture. Uh, because I was like, all right, well, they're going to teach uh, you know at least one class on ninjas, so this will be an easy B. And uh, it turns out that they didn't. But one day, uh, the teacher us, put on this documentary about hiking the Shikoku pilgrimage, and I was watching it, and just kind of in this weird little instant, I just saw myself there. You know, doing the same thing the narrator was doing, walking by these rice fields, praying in these temples, you know, standing under a waterfall. And I was like, I am going to do that. And then I forgot about it for eight years and just ended up like the other big um, change in my life uh, was my senior year. I finally decided like, you know, I've had it with being in college in Minnesota. I need to go do something. Uh, I will do a study abroad in Spain. And so I left uh, for a semester and lived in Spain and learned Spanish and uh, just walked everywhere in this new culture and came back changed. And I was like, oh my God, travel is life changing. And so that kind of, oh, I'm sorry, what? Oh no,
1: I was going to ask. So, so, um, how long were you in Spain?
0: Uh, three months.
1: Okay. So, I mean, yeah, that's a significant amount of time. Yeah. And was, that your, was that your first, like, a, like, trip abroad as well?
0: It was my first trip abroad without, like, my family or anything. You know? Okay. It, it was my first trip abroad where it wasn't like, oh, let's go look at this old thing and then go to this museum where other old things are. <laughs> it was like, okay, you're in a new culture with, you know, only a couple of people who speak English. Uh, go, you know, go yeah. find stuff to do when you're not in class.
1: That's, that's awesome. So, so to so just to talk a little bit on that experience. So um, I, I've never had any um, uh, long-term stays, but I've, I've traveled around to different countries and stuff um, as well. Uh, more or less, I guess, backpacking would probably be considered, but I always found myself like my favorite part of it, I guess, of doing that or going somewhere new is, kind of that sense of vulnerability that you get upon yourself or about yourself. Um, since you are in a completely different place, you don't necessarily speak the language. You, you know, you don't know what to eat, you know, there's just all these different things. Did you kind of like, is that, how, what, I guess, what, is that sort of what made you um, kind of, uh, I guess, enjoy that part
0: of it? I think what I enjoyed was just, yeah, how different everything was, you know, and how, kind of free you are once you're somewhere else. Yeah, you know, you're unmoored from, you know, the most normal stuff you used to do. And so suddenly there's just all of these avenues that you can go down and see. I mean, like one of my favorite things to do in Spain was, I was in a, this southern Spanish city called Granada, um, I think the only reason anyone would know it, if you're a history buff, is that's where uh, the Moors made their last stand before they were uh, expelled from Spain. So that's where the Albicene is and the uh, Alhambra. Um, But yeah, it was just this place where I would hang out with all these other international students, you know, drinking cheap wine and chatting with people from around the world on the steps of the reyes Catolica cathedral and <laughs> that plaza or i'd be sitting up on the mirador de san nicolas looking out at the alhambra while you know Gitanos would play flamenco music just you know on the street and it was just so different and yet so like exciting to just yeah. see this newness and be like, "Oh my God, the world is so big," and I feel like you take a lot of that back with you. Um, not just that, like, "Oh my God, I saw such cool stuff," but it's like I'm different because of what I saw.
1: Yeah, that know that, that that totally makes sense. And you, in kind of as you mentioned, you get open to so many different perspectives. Um, and realize that there's so much more out there than just you know the bubble that you're usually in at home so yeah. so after that experience there um which sounds like it was a it was a great one there's this little little couple of little tidbits of the story sounds pretty amazing um and not a not a bad way to end your uh senior year or whatnot of college w- what happened after that uh that study abroad time when you came back
0: um let's see so after study abroad i you know went to went to burning man a couple of times uh backpacked across europe uh the you know the year after i graduated cuz i'm a hack and uh just started working but and what i found after like my first job was with uh children on like elementary school kids uh with everything from high-functioning autism to schizophrenia. Okay. Uh, I was a paraeducator and just made it, made it through the year, you know, think I did some good, but after that I was just burnt out. Like, it's, it's a job with an enormous burnout rate. And so I started working just in offices because I was like, well, I'm not being punched by a small child. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, oh unfortunately it pays more. So I guess this is what I'll do. And, you know, I, I just kind of was picking the easy way out and I kept, you know, looking for different jobs and eventually ended up working at Microsoft, okay, uh, just as a office manager. And by that point, I kind of, I was just unhappy with it and I decided I'm going to go teach English in South Korea. So I went taught English in South Korea for a year, came back, and then I was rehired on a different position and I was being paid pretty well, still not great, but pretty well, and was like, "Oh, cool, you know, this is this is what the future should be, you know. It's stable and it's what everyone's telling me I should do." And then after a couple of years, I just hated it. I just didn't like sitting at a desk. I didn't like how pointless it all seemed. And then I was like, okay, well, this is the important thing to do. You know, I need the stability. I need to get a job and start building you know, the life that everyone tells me I should. And then I was just like, you know what? I cannot just settle yet. You know, I need one more thing, like one more big travel before I just accept that I'm gonna wake up sighing every day. And that's when Shikoku flashed back in and I said, I'm gonna hike the Shikoku pilgrimage.
1: So so you said that you originally uh learned about that in college, right? And then mm-hmm. it about eight years later you or you forgot about it, and then eight years later, you know, present day in the store right now, you remembered it. Did you just like randomly remember it or like did something like remind you of it and you're like, okay, this is my time, or like
0: um, I was briefly reintroduced to it when I was in South Korea. I think I was just, I was okay. looking at, uh, what I could do, um, on vacation from South Korea. Cause I was teaching. So, you know, I was going to go to Japan and, uh, for a week and a half, I think. And so, yeah, I was just researching, like, what do you do in Japan? And somewhere deep in an article, they're like, yeah, you could also hike this ancient 750 mile Buddhist pilgrimage, which visits 88 temples. And I was like, oh yeah, right, the Shikoku pilgrimage. And then, you know, forgot about it again, got back, got into everything. And yeah, then what, (laughs) what, what can I do? And, you know, what can I do that's different? than just going to, you know, another foreign city. Cause I feel like at, at that point I wasn't super into backpacking anymore. Like going to another foreign city felt like, I still don't get me wrong. I still love going to another foreign city. I love going to a new city, but eventually it always comes back to like, okay, well I saw that. So I guess I'll go drink here. Yeah. And Shikoku seemed like something different. It was like, oh, I'm going to walk. I'm going to devote myself to this pilgrimage. This isn't just a vacation. It's an adventure. And yeah, so when I decided on, I was looking for that. And then Shikoku flashed back in. I was like, oh my God, Shikoku's an adventure. Shikoku is in a you know another place that I feel like I didn't get to spend enough time in etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And I was like, yes, that's what I will do. And unfortunately, I did not also say something else I'll do is learn to read a map or <laughs> road test hiking shoes. Or I don't know, learn to speak Japanese.
1: <laughs> yeah, some some things that you might may or may not need for something like yeah, that. You know? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I was uh I was a young 28. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so you you kind of get reintroduced with all this uh with with shikoku and um and and decide to make the the plunge and just kind of leave your job which would sound like it was pretty stable good good paying kind of all that stuff um so so it was literally that it was literally just kind of a whim like hey i need to switch something up i don't want to go to a different city but i want to sort of experience something new that kind of has an adventure within itself which sounds like you know, that being the, the perfect kind of, uh, the, uh, the perfect thing for that. So, so how long, like, c- cause I, and maybe I'm wrong, but so I feel like you'd have to prepare somewhat for some of that or get some things in order. How, like, what, what was that like between the time that you were like, okay, I'm, I'm leaving my job and you put in your notice or whatever to the time that, you know, you, you get there on the, uh, on that trail. Um, what, what did that look like kind of before, before that?
0: Uh, honestly, buying, buying gear, uh, which I didn't know what to buy. So I just had to kind of ask the couple of people I knew at that time who did long distance hiking or any hiking, uh, cause I'd never really done an overnight hike at that point. And other than that, honestly, I wish I could say more, but I just did <laughs> like no preparation. I just kept talking to people, like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go do this thing. It sounds awesome." And you're just
1: kind of, you're just kind of a go for it kind of guy.
0: I'm, yeah, for <laughs> better or worse, I am very much a go for it kind of guy. <laughs>
1: uh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, and, so, so you buy your shoes. That's that's it. It sounds like. Uh, <laughs> did could you read? you said you couldn't speak the language could you could you read any of it or like any that's like always been my biggest fear of like going somewhere where they don't use letters like we do like you know if you go to germany or somewhere you can type in google translate of course i don't know if you even had something like that when you're out there but and you'll get something so you can kind of play around but a bunch of letters and symbols that how, one how do you even put that in a phone two like where do you even begin? that's kind of always been my biggest fear of going to to a uh, i guess an asian place i guess is the correct way to say it um
0: so but. uh to like no <laughs> i i read i think it would be easier to learn to speak japanese rather than read it and yeah. i also didn't this was 2010, so I think I had a flip phone at that point. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. But I chose not to bring along any electronics besides a uh, let, let's see, I brought along a, a voice recorder to take notes, just because I was like obsessively journaling, and a camera, and that's about it. Like I had a small iPod, but I kind of committed to never using it while on the trail because I wanted to just put myself in the journey and like yeah. really commit to it even, which is ironic because I did no preparation. And yet <laughs> I was like, I am going to fully spiritually invest myself in this journey.
1: That's that, no, that, that's awesome. So, so you get there. So, and if I, 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 I it is on an Island. Am I correct on that? Or, yes. Okay. Yeah.
0: It so it's on, uh, Shikoku Island, which is the smallest of the main islands and the most rural. Okay. So, like, there wasn't even a bridge built to it until the 1980s. Wow. Uh, so, the other thing about Shikoku is the name comes from the uh, Japanese word for four, which is Shi, and uh, Koku, which is region, and the island is split into these four regions, Tokushima, uh, Tokushima, Kochi, Ehime, and Kagawa. And these four regions in the pilgrimage also represent different levels of spiritual growth. So Tokushima is the land of awakening faith. That's where you start. That's where uh, you start praying at the temples. And then uh, Kochi is the land of ascetic training. That's the longest region. It's the hardest. It's just kind of this S curve of concrete that goes mostly by the ocean. It's also beautiful, but it's very difficult to go through. And then there's Ehime, the land of of enlightenment. And that's sort of when you're rounding the corner and heading up around the top of the island. And then Kagawa is the land of Nirvana and that ends the pilgrimage. You go to Temple 88 and then return back to Tokushima and Temple One, because in the, your pilgrim process, you're always returning to gain more faith and more knowledge. So it's a way to remind yourself that the pilgrimage is never over.
1: Interesting. So, uh, so when you you get there, so I, I'm the only thing I can think of is to compare those two because I've had somebody on as a guest on here that has hiked the uh, Appalachian Trail um is it is it like a sought after thing to, to kind of do do this like where you know there's like a you know or there might be a handful of people that are also like at that same starting like, as you and you're passing people that are also experienced that during the trail or is it mainly just like kind of local people like what I guess, what is that? What is the perspective of that from that side of things?
0: So mostly the Shikoku pilgrimage is done by retirees. Hmm. They pay about, I think it's uh, two grand. They hop on a bus and the bus takes them to every temple. They get out. uh, The priest leads them in prayer and then they all line up at the stamp office, which, uh, Every pilgrim is carrying like a robe, a scroll, or a stamp book. And at each temple, uh, the, there's an office where they'll write the calligraphy of the temple and then hit it with these three stamps. Uh, back in the day, that served as kind of your passport. So, you okay. know, if someone was like, hey, what are you doing on this island? You'd be like, I'm not a spy. Look, I'm just, you know, walking through, visiting the temples. Here's, here's uh, all my stamps. So for the most part, people wait till they're retired and then they go and hop on this air conditioned bus and kind of go do the pilgrimage. Uh, But a couple of hundred every year are still hiking it. Uh, I went during not the best season, which was summer, which also (laughs) not the best season when I did it, one of the hottest summers on record, uh, which was bad. Um, but so there weren't a lot of uh, people walking it anyway and then I was also one of maybe a dozen westerners at the time who did the pilgrimage so I was like a fraction of a percentage of a percentage okay uh, doing the hike I only met one other westerner in 42 days
1: really yeah that's that's interesting. So in forty is forty two days. How long you're you're on, on there for?
0: Yep, forty two days, seven hundred and fifty miles. Uh, oh, and um, so you're asking about is it well known or sought after? Yeah, uh, it's not very. As far as I know, it's not very well known. Um, it's known by a speci- by a group by you know a specific part of the population uh, who go do it. But when I landed in uh, Tokyo, because I flew into Tokyo and stayed with uh, these two friends who I, uh, were part of my karate dojo who'd moved back to Japan. Okay. And uh, they were, you know, Japanese. And one of them uh, asked me like, how did you hear about this? Because I told my <laughs> friends you were doing this and they'd never heard of it. So like, it's not taught in schools. Uh, it's not really a big part of the culture, and uh, it's said that more Japanese people have been to Paris than have set foot on Shikoku. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's an island for growing rice. You know, there's uh, there's some cool stuff on it, but yeah, it's not as far as I know a large part of Japanese culture. Uh, but you know, take take my knowledge of japan and japanese culture with a grain of salt
1: yeah uh, that's that's so that's so interesting though but you know i guess it necessarily wouldn't be surprising either because there's a lot of things that are that are close to us here that we kind of take for granted as well so
0: yeah like national parks
1: yeah yeah exactly (laughs) exactly so so let's talk and I know that you kind of in your in your book you know you talk about it so I don't want you to necessarily spoil anything because I want people to check out the book but what are some kind of uh some interesting uh stories or anything like that that you know that you know that you came across during the journey whether that's different run-ins with people or weather or you know maybe any animals or anything like that just kind of an insight of kind of what what that journey kind of looked like um sure. kind of from a top level view you know
0: so from a top level view uh day one i got charged by a boar uh in the mountains. Your first day my first day uh at the end of the day when i had no energy left Uh, Day three, I spent six hours collapsing from dehydration as I tried to climb up to this mountain temple called Burning Mountain Temple. Uh, Then, let's see, two weeks in, I uh, spent a night hiding out from guards in a toilet stall because I had heat exhaustion and wasn't thinking clearly. Uh, A month in, in the span of like a week, I broke part of an ancient temple, got a leg infection. Uh, and then had a karate match with a priest on a mountaintop. So
1: How does, how does that
0: happen? <laughs> uh, the, the match with the priest? Yeah. Uh, we, you'll have to read about it in the book, but the short story is we both did hard style karate at various points in our lives. Uh, he had become a black belt. I was training up for my black belt at that point, and we just shared a look. And after a conversation, uh I raised my fists and said kumate, which means to to fight, and he said kumate. <laughs> so we just squared up and uh at dusk on a mountaintop temple had a uh about ten to fifteen minute karate match after everyone had left. That is
1: and the way you kind of set that up, it almost sounded like that was just, just because that wasn't necessarily like an altercation.
0: No, not at all. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a pure match.
1: Okay. That's okay. So I read a little, yeah. uh, you know, the little summary on on the, on the book uh, bio or whatnot. And that's what I was curious about, but that's, I could like, who, who yeah, can they, say that they've done that? Like,
0: it, it is crazy. definitely going on my tombstone unless I turn out to be a really beloved husband and father. <laughs> <laughs> like, that,
1: that, that, that's, that's awesome. That's, that's so crazy. So anyway, so you have this, uh, this, this match with <laughs> a priest. That's awesome.
0: Uh, yeah. And so other than that, uh, the, to sell the book for a second, uh which available on Amazon in ebook print and audiobook fighting monks in burning mountains um the other things that i thought were fascinating was just kind of the local culture um you know shikoku is just like any other part of japan where it's this strange mix of you know this epic ancient history of like samurai battles and uh you know, ancient lore, you know, there's a, um, a creature called a kappa, uh, in, which is one of the many, like, small folkloric Japanese monsters called the yokai, okay. and this is a half turtle, half frog that, you know, lives in swamps and lures children into the swamp to kill them, but is also unfi- uh, very polite and has a little bowl of water on top of its head. So, if you meet a kappa, you're supposed to bow, and, you know, the water spills out, and then they lose all their power out of of land. And, you know, it's not like I met a kappa, but they are everywhere on signs. Like, there are all these little swamps and these little uh, ponds everywhere on the island, and every warning sign to stay away had Uh, illustration of a a kappa killing a killing somebody (laughs) really yeah so that's the like stay away you know instead of just normal warning it's like this tiny monster will kill you if you get near the pond like not in a way of uh not in a way of like this monster actually exists and will kill you but in a reminder that's a that's like a melding you know it's like if you say it's like in america if we had a sign that said, you know, beware railroad crossing, but it also had a picture of a troll. And we all knew that like, if you cross a railroad without looking, a troll will eat you. Yeah.
1: That's, that's super interesting. And I just uh, Googled real quick, a a picture of that on my phone, um, which is definitely pretty interesting.
0: Yeah. And so then there, um, included in my book, I also, uh, talk about this one amazing story, I thought, of this emperor that was assassinated, uh, after he'd been exiled to Shikoku. But before his exile, he'd ruled Japan until they, uh, he abdicated in favor of his, uh, half-brother, who was more powerful. So the guy, uh, you know, abdicates and then he says, hey, can I visit, you know, my father now that he's passed? And they're like, nope, not a chance. And so this emperor called uh Sutoku decides like, okay, well, I'm not letting this stand, gets his army together, attacks his half brother, he's defeated, gets exiled to Shikoku, uh he has to become a priest so he becomes a buddhist priest living in uh, the 79th temple on the shikoku pilgrimage route uh writes these prayer scrolls you know copies them which is one of the one of the you know rituals a form of prayer for buddhists so he copies these scrolls sends them over to tokyo or to where the uh state capital was And the half-brother takes a look at these scrolls that arrive from the brother he exiled, says, not a chance. We're not putting these anywhere near the capital because these are clearly cursed. Sends them back. Satoku, like, didn't get to visit his dead father, didn't get to have scrolls interred with his dead father. So he decides, I am going to become an onryo, which is a vengeful spirit that after a person's death, just wreaks havoc, like haunts the shit out of anyone who you curse. And the guy, the Sutoku, the Emperor, takes these scrolls, throws them into the Seto Sea, which is the inland between Shikoku and uh, the main island. And after his death, when he's assassinated, the Empire just goes through years of revolt and drought and natural disasters until finally, that emperor's lineage is wiped out on a ship in the Seto Sea. <laughs> where, that em- where Emperor Sutoku threw those scrolls and, claimed and uh, vowed to become an onryo to curse, his em- to curse the empire. Wow. Yeah, and it's just tons of cool little stories like that as you're also on this, you know, amazing spiritual journey.
1: That sounds, that sounds awesome. Uh, I'm just like uh, trying to imagine like being there and learning about these things while I'm there and like experience that. I couldn't, that sounds like a a great experience.
0: Uh, Yeah, it was, I mean, to be honest, I learned a lot of this stuff afterwards and I was like, this is so amazing and put it in the book. So yet another reason to buy that book on Amazon. Yeah, but
1: well, but <laughs> e- even even so, you know, even even if you're learning about some of the stuff afterwards, I'm sure there's like you were reminiscing on the, you know, the trip or the journey, and you're like, oh yeah, now that makes sense why I saw that there, or, or vice versa, yeah. or whatever.
0: Yeah, like there's uh this stone by the uh one of the early temples, I think temple three or four, called the Benkei Stone. And, and it was you know, the only thing I read about it at the time was this is a, just massive stone lifted up by this legendary warrior named Benke who was just known to be just ogreish and freakishly huge. And I didn't know it, like, I, it was cool because it's like, oh my God, here's this piece of like samurai history that's still a part of this journey. And then later I find out that's, like, lifting that stone is the least cool thing that Benkei did. Like, he once held off an army just yeah. on a bridge until someone had feathered him with enough arrows that he just, like, was basically stu- standing in place.
1: Really? <laughs>
0: yeah, like, he was stapled to the ground, but still, like, holding his holding his warrior staff and making sure no one passed until his master could uh, commit seppuku with honor
1: wow there's those are that's crazy the stuff uh, yeah i can't even, yeah the stuff that you learned through that and, and the experience itself um and like i said i don't I, I obviously want people to check out the book but what so what did you and you obviously learned about a lot about the culture and had a, a great experience. I'm like, what did you learn about yourself? Like, I mean, you kind of learned, you know, the first time that you studied abroad in Spain, you know, you kind of learned and kind of got that taste of, um, you know, that there's other stuff out there and kind of gave you a different sense of almost reality, I guess. Um, but what, what did you learn like during that? Cause I feel like that was so, or possibly, I mean, it was a pretty, uh, pretty significant difference, you know, between studying abroad in Spain versus doing something like that?
0: Oh, I mean, I learned, (laughs) I mean, the the, the trail was incredibly challenging for me, and, you know, my shoes didn't fit, like, my feet hurt every day, and I had to learn to come to peace with that. Um, I you know was meditating every day and learned and gained uh i would say a greater ability to access uh access the spiritual reality or yeah n- not spiritual reality as in like i was able to access you know uh, a divine so- uh, source or anything but i had meditation experiences on the island that i had never had before i was like the, cl- the closest I could say it is I had the experience of being on a low dose of mushrooms, uh, completely sober, si- simply through meditation. Interesting. Um, uh, I learned, I think it, it's not as much what I learned about myself as, mu- as much as like there were lessons that the trail taught to me. Okay. You know, it taught me to not define my journey while I'm still on it. Uh, I think was the biggest lesson. Uh, it taught me that you know the worst case scenario is not the only scenario. It taught me that um, that there is this benefit and joy that comes with just throwing yourself into a new situation. But there's also, you know, a panic and a constant stress that also comes with it. You have to reconcile the two. You have to learn to just be present in the moment and not judge it. Because that, I think, is an issue that a lot of people have traveling, especially when people are going off on their first big journey, whether it's the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, um, what have you, you know, backpacking through Europe. Uh, I think a lot of people come back and don't feel very different or don't feel like the journey was what they expected or what they wanted. And I think that's because people put an expectation and judge the journey on what they wanted it to be rather than what it is. And one of the things before I left, uh, I went to this Buddhist temple that was right by where I lived at the time uh, because it was the exact same sect of Buddhism that the Shikoku pilgrimage is based on. And I asked uh, the priest if he had any advice and he said, uh, it's the journey that you need. And I feel like more and more, uh, you know, after that going on, like, bicycling across the United States and, you know, uh, hiking the Wonderland Trail, hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, hiking the Colorado Trail. Uh, The answers that you're looking, the answers are there. They may not be the answers you're looking for, but the answers are all provided for you, and it's kind of up to you to be open to them and to put them together. Like, the Pacific Crest Trail, I would say more than anything, was the one that changed my life uh, the most. Really? But, oh yeah, yeah, hands down. But I feel like if it weren't for everything I learned on Shikoku, it would not have been the same. And it would not have given me that insight that I've carried with me through my entire life since then to just be open to what you're experiencing. And to not say, oh, I should be feeling this or I should be feeling that, or it should be this way and it's instead this way. You need to just be open and accept what you're experiencing because that may be the lesson, good or bad. And I'm not saying that I remember this every second or that I don't still get stressed out over where I am in life. But it's a lesson that... I keep coming back to, and that keeps being relevant. I think. Sorry uh, for that long ramble.
1: No, no, no. That that makes perfect sense, and um, is kind of interesting. Hear you hearing you say that, um, w- which is kind of funny because so in in real life that doesn't make sense. In my day to day life, kind of kind of me personally, I'm I'm very. Um, you know, I kind of if there's if there's a plan, I like sticking that plan, kind of structure that kind of stuff, Um and and you know, kind of get stressed when things don't go the right way. But I I found that when I, which I maybe seems might kind of seem weird, but when I'm actually traveling to other places or or other countries or been to other countries, that I'm able to. Kind of put that on the back burner and just like you said, kind of go with the flow, experience what you're experiencing at that moment. Um, which which would be be personally helpful for me to figure out how to 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 refocus and do that in my in my day to day life. But I I totally know what you mean because you just get a sense of um, I don't know if freedom is the right word, but I guess I guess freedom definitely fits in there. That and just let you experience it that much more with no no hard expectations on what it should be.
0: Right. You're removed from your plans in context. Yeah. And yeah. And there's no reason that you can't still make plans, but you know, view life that way universally. It's just that you have to kind of separate more when you're home, what you think life should be and what it is. And by accepting what it is, you generally I think are happier. Yeah. In some ways, and you're more clear-eyed about what needs to be done.
1: That that totally that totally makes sense. And uh <laughs> like I said, uh, just sort of that that kind of uh that kind of rant or whatnot that you just went on kind of reminded me of myself personally that I need to remember that when I'm here at home. Um <laughs> with with everything going on um so so
0: Uh, i hope that wasn't a rant i should have mentioned politics more
1: (laughs) no 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 a good a good rant you know uh, you know uh kind of um (laughs) i didn't mean rant in that way uh but uh no i think that was a perfect so you and usually what i do is ask you know what can what advice could you give someone you know that kind of wants to put themselves out there sort of like you did and kind of, you know, find that fulfillment. And I, I don't know if you, if there's anything else that you want to add to that, but I think that kind of um, that talk that you gave, <laughs> um, no, I, I think that that was just a, an awesome way to kind of think about it. Um, Cause it's, it's so true knowing from my personal experience and knowing other people um, and traveling with different people that, that, that don't see it that way um which is kind of and I'm thinking of a specific moment I'm not to get on the personal thing but I've I've been places before with other people and they're not um they're not experiencing everything that's happening in this foreign place or kind of just getting stuck in their same routine that they would at home and and at that point it's like well what's the point of even going somewhere new In, in my mind at least so
0: yeah I mean I think the uh, I was talking with my wife about something related to that a while back where uh, she knew some people who were like, yeah, I mean, we could go travel, but you know, then it's just, we're just going to be doing the same stuff, but in a different place. And uh, I was saying like, yeah, but it's still really worthwhile to go to that different place. Cause who knows, like you run into a challenge, but you got how to deal with it in a different way than you're used to, yeah. you know, and maybe you get lost on the bus and you're like, ah, oh, shit, how do we get back? And then that becomes a life experience, you know, figuring out like, Oh, like how do we get from point A to point B now that we're at point C and the bus to point B is gone. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, it, it's those challenges that you need to kind of accept right at the beginning and be like, yeah, this is going to suck, but it's going to suck in an interesting way <laughs> as opposed to sucking in the normal way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> no, that's so, that's so true. That's such a good way to put it. <laughs>
0: uh, and yeah, so I, I guess the other advice, uh, that is another thing that I always come back to is something that I, like I was, uh, at a like lower point in my life, uh, I don't know, probably about five, six years back, um, and felt just stuck. And I said, "Okay, well, you know what? Why don't I challenge myself and just run the Seattle Marathon? Like I, I've done it before um, when I was younger, and you know, I just want to finish it." And so, you know, I trained up in the normal way. Uh, and then started running the marathon. And I passed mile one, and they yelled out my time. And it was a minute faster than I'd run it, you know, years ago. And I was like, oh, snap, I should probably slow down. And then I ran by mile two, and they called it out. And I was running consistently a minute faster, like a minute per mile faster. And I kept, they kept calling it out. And I started to get worried. And I was like, okay, just slow down, you know, what if you burn out? What if you can't finish this marathon? It's just going to be more evidence that, you know, you're stuck in life and that you're not succeeding in the way you want. And around mile, like, eight, I just had this thought, like, why don't you stop telling yourself what you can't do and just find out, Yeah, you know? If you, sure, it you might burn out your legs and not be able to finish this marathon and it's going to suck, but you might also finish this marathon faster by, you know, a half hour than you've ever run a marathon before. And wouldn't that be incredible to know that you could do that? And that's exactly what I did. Like, I, I think I beat my old time by I think 20, 25 minutes. Wow. And yeah, that's kind of the advice I try to always keep in my mind and, you know, try to give to other people who are considering a journey. You know, you don't have to be as intense as I am about it. Uh, You know, you should probably do your research before you go anywhere (laughs) uh, or ask some questions. But yeah, it's just stop telling yourself, "Oh, I can't do this." Just find out if you can. Just okay. go, and the, you know, it might put you in a worse place than you were, but it might also put you in a better place. And if you're in a worse place, at least you learn something.
1: Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's a great way to put it. Because you know, don't don't uh, don't beat yourself before you've even given a chance to be beaten or you you know it doesn't do anybody good to say oh i I can't do this and you have no clue you know and if and like i said if you fall on the short side then well at least you know you tried um you know but and who knows you could over over exceed and do a lot better time on that run in your case which is crazy i don't know i'm not i'm not quite a runner i'm more of a bicycle bicycler but uh or cyclist but (laughs) But that's, that's awesome. Um, so with that, where can people find uh, you online uh, to see what you're up to, maybe see what adventures you might have um, in the future? And of course, where, where can they pick up your book?
0: So uh, right now, my online presence is pretty small by design. Uh, if you want to find me on social media, uh, go to at barack.com. Outdoors. B as in boy. A R A C H. Outdoors, and uh, you'll find plenty of hiking photos that I try to make look nice, and a bunch of sarcastic comments below them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, get the people fi- entertained. Yeah. If you want to find me, find my book. It is on Amazon. Uh, uh, well, Amazon.com. We all know. Who, we all know where that is by now. <laughs> Is like a small uh, shop or <laughs> yeah 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 real real local vintage stuff uh, <laughs> um so the book is fighting monks and burning mountains misadventures on a buddhist pilgrimage and you can find that in ebook audiobook and print <laughs>
1: that's awesome well uh everyone make sure you uh check check the book out as you can you know tell from kind of the the little insight he gave without spoiling anything, it sounds like it was an amazing story um, or amazing journey, I should say. And I'm sure there's some even uh, better little story tidbits in in the book itself, but, um, and it sounds like it really made a huge impact, um, you know, on on your life, you know, whether that, you know, basically leading you to the next adventure to get to those next levels. So um, Paul, I really thank you for uh, being on the podcast today and kind of sharing, sharing those stories um, and learning a little bit more about those journeys um, but yeah, I, I wish you the, the best of luck in your next adventure.
0: Oh, thanks, Jeremy. I uh, had a great time being on. Thank you for having me on.
1: Thanks for listening. And Hey, if you've made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life in motion until next time.